0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. There is a, uh, it's a very interesting column, op-ed that I found at the MacDonald Laurier Institute site, Climate Extremists Perpetuate Eco-Colonialism in The Guardian and the Narwhal, and uh, the co-author of that particular piece is with me now to speak about this. And uh, it ties together with what we spoke to our last guest about, Thierry Bro, the the uh, former head of energy security for France. In a way, so Melissa Embarkey M- is an indigenous Alberta woman, policy analyst and outreach coordinator for the Indigenous Affairs Program at the MacDonald-Laurier Institute and a member of the Treaty 4 Nation in Saskatchewan, again, the co-author of the uh, of the release, the op-ed, and McDonald's laureate climate extremists perpetuate eco-colonialism in the Guardian and Nor- Narwhal. Uh, Melissa, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you.
1: Yeah, and thank you for the opportunity for having me today.
0: So let's begin, and I'm just going to go to the line just below, just in as a general introductory piece. Just below the uh, the title in the in the uh, in the release at MLI, self-appointed outsiders are wittingly or unwittingly condemning our communities to poverty. Apparently, our rights should only be respected if we exercise them in accordance with the ideological priorities of these eco-colonialists. Tell us what we're talking about, and in general terms, just walk us through that statement. <laughs>
1: So I will give a little bit of history about myself. Um, I grew up on a reserve. I left when I was 17 with absolutely nothing. And, you know, poverty is one of the biggest issues that we face. And it is very hard to address this, um, you know, with These activists out there, whenever we have an opportunity that comes to us, um, that comes to our community, you know, we engage with the operators and, you know, we get the full scope of what their project is. Um, You know, this isn't something that we just jump into blindly. So, this is one part of the piece that they're missing. Um, They assume that we're not consulted, they assume that we're not, um, you know, part of these discussions. And that is completely false. So, what they do is they draft this narrative about. Us, and they say, oh, you know, they undermined your rights or they didn't consult with you. That is absolutely untrue. If a project comes even remotely close to our communities, we are consulted. And if we're not consulted, we're offered, you know, employment, we're offered training, we're offered Things that we wouldn't normally have in our communities, and this is a huge benefit to people who are looking for work and who are also looking to stay in their communities versus moving, like I did. Um, so they're creating this false narrative about indigenous people and about our rights. We absolutely know what our rights are, and we exercise those rights, whether it's a yes or no. You know, we go through that process and. They are saying that, you know, we, we we don't go through this, which is completely false. And they're creating this whole narrative that, you know, the oil and gas is destroying you know, the land, which is completely untrue because that is one of the things that we look at prior to these projects. Like, what does your reclamation look like? What does a well abandonment or, you know, remediation look like? What's it going to look like in 25 years? These are the questions that we ask. And if we're on board with their project, we move ahead with it. So in re- in doing this rebuttal, um, you know, it just points the picture of extremists don't speak for us you know they don't speak for us because they they, they're actually the ones that don't come and consult with us (laughs) like Mm -hmm. they're actually Mm -hmm. the ones not asking for our opinion so they're in a sense you know they're the colonialists out there and they're using the environment to push their agenda and that.
0: yeah no go ahead go ahead Melissa
1: and that is really unfair to us it's really unfair
0: I've spoken many times uh, with Stephen Buffalo the president of the Indian Resource Council, about oil and gas development on First Nations. And the message has been the same. The First Nations will make the decisions for themselves. They will assess. They're the guardians of the land. They'll assess um, just how helpful it is to the community. And if there are concerns, we will deal with them. That's the message. So in in the—and uh, this is what you're telling us as well. And I'm looking at, the, at a, just one part of the, the op-ed. You wrote, Indigenous peoples should be empowered to charge their own course— whether that be as proponents, partners, owners, or indeed opponents of development projects on territories over which they are rights holders. Indigenous peoples are the best arbiters of their own destinies, a position that we assert with pride and determination. And all of this was communicated to the author in detail, but he chose to ignore and distort our views. So, and this is a piece that was that appeared in The Guardian and, and Narwhal that you're writing about. So, Talk to us about that, please. So you you explained, you communicated with the author, and you're saying that he distorted your views.
1: Yes, that is completely true. What he was trying to do was he was trying to paint a picture of you know anybody in general who questions um, you know who questions their their ideology is automatically considered um, you know somebody who's a denier and. I just do not like that word out there because they are assuming that I'm a denier, not knowing that I've worked in the industry for 15 years, not knowing that I've been part of the reclamation process. So I, I do know the full scope of these projects and this is, information that we try and get to our communities, and we try to present it in a way where they make the decisions. And if it is, and if a community is on board with a project, it means they've gone through the proper channels, you know, they've gone through the consultation process. So it's very, um, you know, and we understand our rights, you know, we understand what they entail, we understand what our responsibilities are. So undermining all of that is just a huge disrespect to our communities and they need to come in and, and come and tell us what their concerns are. You know, they need to come and tell us what what their path forward is because chances are it's not ours.
0: Well, and, may, I just, may I just say something here? Mm-hmm. Do you really need them?
1: We... See, I always like to get opposing views. And right. the reason why I like to get opposing views is because that helps us build a better future. So maybe there is something that we're missing along the way. You know, maybe there okay, is a, technolo- a technology that we haven't heard of before. But to just say no to oil and gas, that's not the answer. But maybe they do have another answer that we're not hearing. So just understanding and hearing. Bo- everyone's perspective is always the way that we go and you know they need to start respecting us and they need to start asking us what we want as opposed to telling us what they think we should be doing
0: there are many First Nations many First Nations across Canada which uh, have spoken out very supportively of oil and gas exploration and development because it provides exactly what you talked about economic economic Opportunity for the First Nations peoples, and they're being very clearly, uh, very clear about being responsible about the development of and the and the exploration for oil and gas. It's your land, and you're making the decisions about your land. And this is this should have been going on for hundreds of years, and it hasn't always been. So there's been this colonialism issue. Is the federal government of Canada being? Um, uh, forthright and being sufficiently um, direct as far as supporting and being there standing beside First Nations who've made the decision to explore and develop oil and gas
1: They are absolutely not standing beside us on this issue and if anything they're creating even more barriers for us to move forward
0: Yeah, I find it very disturbing that the federal government of this country does not stand with First Nations who make the decision to take the steps to explore and develop oil and gas in their territories. We know that oil and gas, looking at Europe, the trouble they're in right now because of their lack of natural gas. Germany uh, saying that they're going to limit the uh, temperatures this winter to 19 degrees Celsius in public public buildings and businesses. That that speaks volumes, cutting back by 20% in natural gas. I find it disturbing that the federal government does not stand with first decision the first nations to make the decisions to move ahead how much of a contentious issue though is it among the indigenous communities of this country
1: It is a contentious issue for those who are currently um, involved in the natural resource sector. Um, What it's done, I mean, anything that happens in the Canadian economy trickles down to our communities. So if there are job losses, business losses, you know, we feel that impact. Um, What's really concerning is that we've had families that were once able to, you know, take care of themselves and, you know, to be able to provide for their families. They're not able to do that because of, you know, the regulations that have been put in place, um, you know, the the natural resource sector, the energy sector, it's stagnant. There are new there are no new projects on the horizon. Like we don't know what this industry is going to look like in five years' time. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, just when we were starting to kind of build our way out of poverty, you know, we've taken 10 steps back and we're back to square one. And it's very frustrating on our end. And it's very frustrating to people in the community who originally had the opportunity to stay in the community with their families and work, you know, they weren't separated from their families. But now what we're seeing are that family dynamic being divided, because you have to leave the reserve to get work, you know, and it's, and there isn't much out there. So I don't know where this industry is going. Um, you know, I when you have a minister like Stephen Gibault, I think you say his last name, yes. you know, it's not, it doesn't look very promising. You know, somebody who hasn't worked in the industry, who doesn't understand it, and the only thing that he understands is how to protest, you know, that that's very concerning. And it's going to be very contentious going forward to keep the existing projects that we do have on
0: the go. I'm just looking at another line from the op-ed. Indigenous people have a long history of having their rights and liberties denied through colonialism and its legacies. Outsiders who asserted the superiority of their own culture sought to impose their worldview on us. As a result, we were denied the right to vote, the right to govern our own affairs, the right to raise and educate our own children, and more. Canadian society is slowly coming to see that government paternalism and colonialism are wrong Although the path toward real reconciliation is slow and painful, there is progress being made. But you're having this paternalistic approach, again, pushed upon you by certain individuals and groups, and, uh, and, you're, t- and you're talked down to. And this is what bothers me more than, well, not more than anything else, but it certainly bothers me a great deal that you're being talked down to.
1: That's exactly what happens. I mean, we have people out there who are telling me what job to have, uh, where to live, um, you know, what industry is good and which is bad. We don't need that. You know, you need to come to our community and see what poverty looks like before you are even able to pass judgment on us. And I think it's, you know, we need to change that mindset. You know, we're independent people. You know, our communities are situated in different regions of Canada. So there's different opportunities and sometimes none. Um, you know, so we kind of have to think about those communities as well. You know, how would those communities flourish? Um, you know, so we, we have to take a balanced approach when it comes to this. Um, and you know, and, and the more knowledge people have, the better it is, you know, and
0: I'm I'm sorry, a case in point, I don't mean to interrupt. We only have two minutes. So I have to get this in a case in point is what we played at the beginning of the segment where residents, people from grassy narrows went to the liberal fundraiser for the tickets to deliver the message our water isn't safe and there was the response by the prime minister thank you for your contribution that to me embodies exactly what first nations have been hearing and continue to hear
1: yeah, and the people of Grassy Narrows are still continuing to hear that message, nothing has been done in their community. You know, and that just shows the priority of our issues. I mean, it's very slow moving, um nothing is done, and if something is done, it's it's it doesn't really have an impact on us. So, I think we have to start looking at, you know, ways that we can speak speed up some of these things and, you know, whether it's a cleanup, whether it's a natural resource product project, how do we speed this up and how do we get this going in a quick manner, um, for first nations communities? Yeah.
0: Our land, our, dis- our resources, our decision, right? Yes. That's it. Exactly. Line. If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green show on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites.